Hi, I'm Christopher Kahn, the managing editor at Ears to Feed, and I spoke with filmmaker Kaveh Zahedi, who's the creator behind Brick TV's The Show About the Show and his new podcast, 365 Stories I Want to Tell You Before We Both Die. We spoke over two Zoom calls a few weeks ago about his time at Yale, his love of James Joyce, philosophy, music, his new podcast, and the third season of The Show About the Show. Kaveh, as you know if you've watched any of his films like I Am a Sex Addict, is very honest, which makes him a great interview. So I tried to give him as much room as possible to give full-winded answers, which he graciously did. In each episode, he'll walk you through a story in his life, which range between incredibly dark and hilarious. They're between two and five minutes, so you can breeze through them rather quickly. We begin by talking about his podcast before moving into his filmmaking career, and then we end on his favorite musicians. And there are some great stories along the way, including ones about Daniel Johnston and Frank Black of the Pixies. Thank you for listening, and I hope you enjoy our conversation. Trying to uh, finish the podcast for, for this week. <laughs> okay, so you do the entire week podcast like in a day, usually then it, they'll come out like every day. No, I've been recording them for six months. Okay. Um, but like I edit them and stuff, and I just tweak them and I try to clean them up. So there's a lot of like a lot of hours that goes into each one <laughs> more than you would think. Um, so just doing that stuff in time for the release of it, I'm always like just you know barely keeping up with it. So you, do you do it all on your own, the editing and recording of it all? No, I don't. I um, there's like maybe six people working on it. <laughs> Leon, the producer, will like do a first pass on the story. So I'll record it at his place, and then he'll do a pass and send it to me, and then also tweak it a little bit, and then I'll send it to somebody to clean up some of the sounds. He'll send it back to me, and I'll do another tweak, and then I'll send it to someone else to do. They use Audition, you know that program, Adobe Audition. Yeah, Adobe. Just to clean up the uh, the mouth noises mostly. Right. And then it goes back to me to approve it. And then I send it to Leon and then he puts the music on and, and uploads it. Okay, perfect. Because yeah, I was wondering, where did the idea originate? Because um, it's kind of similar to, at least in the time, like how long it is, the duration, your awkward celebrity encounters. So yeah. Yeah. It comes out of the same matrix. Um, Leon reached out to me to say that he had heard those and liked them. And... Um, which is like a, you know, like a nice kind of fan letter kind of thing. And I was like, um, cool, thank you. And then I was like, that name sounds familiar. So I looked him up and I realized he was the guy who did this podcast that I really liked called Slow Burn. Oh, okay. You know that podcast? Yeah. Yeah. And I was like, oh, wow, I, I love that show. Uh, he's really good. So I just told him I loved the show. And then he said something like, uh, do you have any ideas for more audio stuff? And I said, yeah. And he said, well, we should talk. So then we just met like that day after in the park and he just said, you know, what, what ideas do you have for podcasts? And I just told him a few different ideas and he liked two of them. And then he said, why don't we try them both? And then I sort of tried both and I think I realized that this one was better and the other one could be folded into it. The other one was called, um, the films I got away. Oh, and nice. it was just, uh, it was going to be 52 stories, one a week about a film I tried to make that didn't get made for some reason. And like what happened? It's just a way to sort of like redeem these these projects that never went anywhere. And I realized I could just make those part of the 365 stories. Um, and I think he liked it, this one a little better. I think I did too. It just seemed it was more universal or something. Yeah, because everyone has this like it's a structure of it's so because they're, they're really they're not long at all. You can kind of breeze through them. 
as Ultimate. And uh, they all have this poignant ending that I'm finding. Like uh, the James Joyce ones in particular are some of my favorite. I just, I'm, I'm about to reread Ulysses. And uh, so hearing you talk about your experience with like your independent study and uh, that professor. Um, so could we switch to James Joyce for a little bit? Just, I'm a big fan. Um, sure. So where did when did you like first read? Did you read him in high school or what? No, no, I was in college. It was assigned. I think it was freshman year. It was just like we read we read the Odyssey with the Iliad, the Odyssey, Dante, and Joyce. I guess that year, and I, I just loved it. Um, and I wanted to do a film based on it pretty pretty early on. Really? Um, on yeah. The, on Ulysses. Yeah, yeah. I wanted to adapt it, and I um. I tried to do this. I was, it was a Yale and they had like a special senior project thing you could do for, for senior year. You could just do a project and I, you had to apply and I applied to do like one chapter of the book, the sirens chapter. Yeah. And they said, no, we don't think you're worthy. Um, so I didn't do it, but you know, I wanted to. And then I just thought about it a lot. And then I think many years later, it occurred to me that it would be best done as a TV series like 18 hour installments because it's, you know, 18 hours of a day and each chapter is a different hour. It seemed like it was kind of really would be better suited for, for real time television, you know, like, uh, like that show 24. Yeah. 24 hours, whatever it's called, 24. Um, so then I went to, actually went to Dublin and I tried to, to get the Irish film board to, to give me money. And they said they would if I got 17 other directors besides me of some repute. To each do a, a separate chapter. Okay. And then it would be like easier to market, I guess. Um, but I was like, I don't, I don't want 17 other directors touching this. I, you know, I want to do it my way. So I didn't do that, but I, you know, it's just been a thing I've been thinking about my whole life, at least since I read that book. Like, how would you do it? And then I had an idea for how to do it recently that made sense to me. And I sort of been preparing that. So, so I've been thinking about it again just because of that project. Mm-hmm. Could you just for the listeners that may not know, uh, talk about your the woman that you did the independent study with and the the slippers that she would let you wear, the James Joyce's slippers. It's such a amazing story. It's like she just been does she just had had them in her her home? Yeah, yeah. She just bought them at an auction. She had his Dante book, his book of you know of Dante's you know Inferno, mm-hmm. and he had like a little stamp that he had. It said JJ, like his oh, own little right. personalized you know. Uh, ink stamp that he would put on all in all of his books. So she had his 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 edition of Dante, his copy of Dante. Um and she had his slippers. I think she bought them both at an auction. I don't remember how much she paid for them. <laughs> so she would let, let you wear them as you two were talking about Finnegan's Wake and Yeah, yeah. That's... Um but mostly she just, you know, she was very like um encouraging and saw my potential, I guess, which I felt like not very many people did. So I was very uh, touched by that yeah, and it endeared me to Joyce as well. Could you talk about your time at Yale, maybe how that informed your, did you go in, you went to study philosophy and um, see so your, your idea to become a filmmaker or even to start making films uh, come before, like you went into Yale with that idea or did you get it out of Yale while you were there? Yeah, it was while I was there. I, I went in uh, kind of as a political science major. I wanted to, you know, make the world a better place. I thought politics was the way to do it. And, but I also was into art and I was kind of torn between the two things. And I think one day I had a, an epiphany really, which was that, you know, film would be a way to combine art and politics. So I started making kind of political films and then I quickly kind of realized that, you know, what that means is much more complex than what I thought it meant. 
and I started making films that, you know, tried to be, uh, to experiment with the form, the cinematic form and thinking just about ideology and what, you know, Godard was a big influence because I just realized like, oh, there are, you know, there's like a way of, most films have an ideology embedded in them and, and the way that you make films has an ideology embedded in it. So the way to sort of change things, the way people think really was to change the way films were made and, and thought about. So, so I started doing that and that sort of took me here, wherever I am now. Yeah, for people that are watching uh, this interview, I mean, I know you work, I mean, it's really, that's like singular, it's going to be documentary style, it's like a celebration, and, and uh, I'm taking a class right now, and, and Franz Kafka, and we're reading, I'm going back and reading, like, some of Cam News work, and the Mississippi's, and that coincided with me re-watching all your films, and uh, I found that there's this great celebration of, like, the, the day-to-day and the mundane in your films that I really, I don't get out of, uh, I don't see in a lot of, of just films I'm watching. Uh, do you do you think that's that's true? Is something you try to strive for in your in your filmmaking is uh, a celebration of like the ordinary? Yeah, totally. I mean, that all came from a, a drug experience I had in film school. Because uh, I when I went to film school, I was sort of trying to make commercial films. You know, I thought I wanted to be like part of the conversation. You know, yeah. And frustrating about my my experience filmmaking is you know I've been very marginalized. My work is not widely known or seen um so you know you feel like i don't know like you there's not a lot of people who are paying attention but um i had this you know it was an acid trip and i just had this vision of the buddha holding a a flower in his hand and when with the image came this idea and it was like he was saying like the flower represents a beauty and he was saying beauty is right in front of your face you don't have to go looking for it like it's just right in front of you and, and you know, when you're on drugs, like everything is beautiful and like the beauty of things suddenly becomes, you know, visible again. Um, and I was like, Oh, this is what films can do. They can help you see the beauty that is there already. And that seemed important. Like just, and like the ordinary has a bad rap, you know, like we walk around kind of numb and, and alienated and kind of like happy and unhappy. I mean, angry and unhappy that things are. Are, seem dull or banal to us. Like our lives seem, uh, don't seem heroic or ideal or, or exciting, I think. I think most people feel that way about their lives. Drudgery, you know, the drudgery of the everyday. But when you're, when you're stoned, everything is so great. It's just like everyone is interesting and everything is beautiful. And all you want to do is really just like let it in, you know, but we don't usually let things in. So I was like, how do you make films that, uh, that give you this feeling that a drug gives you of like seeing things that you always see, but see them in a way that makes them interesting or something. So I just thought I'd make a film about something really ordinary from my life. And it was kind of a reaction against what you learn in film school, which is that everything should be kind of have high stakes, you know, like, uh, you know, the ultimate Hollywood movie is a movie about, you know, nuclear war or trying to stop a nuclear bomb, you know, like, just like, if you don't do this, the world will end. I mean, uh, Avengers is that, you know, um, but, or just, you know, the hitman is trying to kill you and how do you avoid the hitman? Um, you know, it's always like a life and death ideal and you know, not all Hollywood's like that, but it's always, the stakes are always high. And I think most of us walk around with stakes that are kind of low, <laughs> but they're high for us. You know, like, I hope this person isn't, isn't mad at me anymore. That person doesn't seem to like me. I feel, should I talk to them or should I ignore them? You know, <laughs> like, 
and those are big stakes, but they they feel they feel small next to the media modeling that we get. So I think I consciously was trying to sort of go against that and make things about very ordinary, everyday kind of struggles and sort of show them in there. Kind of what Joyce does in Ulysses, you know, he takes a very ordinary day and gives it its, you know, epic dimensions mm-hmm. by making it, you know, riff on the Odyssey. So in that sense, yeah, I think that I'm trying to do basically that same kind of thing, but in film. It coincides with the ultimate honesty, where every, all, you know your entire truth, everything you're thinking, put into your uh, filmmaking. No, there's no filter that I'm sure you know most filmmakers, I mean, just most people in general, uh, it's really hard not to put your full self out there, even with your family. Or with, is that something that came early too? Is I want to be as truthful as possible, even about my own, not even about my characters, but about my own uh, reality and display that through my films. Um, I think that's been kind of gradual, really. I mean, I think the films probably get more and more that way as they go, or have, have gone more and more that way. Um, I mean, I don't know, my first feature was pretty honest, but not as honest as my subsequent ones, maybe. Um, I, don't know, I think it was just, you know, the experience of living where, like, I think I just realized at a certain point that, like, the more I cannot hide the parts of myself that I'm ashamed of, the more I can feel okay about myself, really. Uh, you know, if I can, if I can own it and then I'm free of, free from guilt and shame, really. Um, so I think there's been a, a psychological, um, process of trying to, I don't know what to call it, be free, I guess, or, or accept myself or accept, accept life, really, accept reality. When I started going to AA meetings, you know, SAA meetings, uh, for sex addiction, I think I was very moved by people being honest about their, you know, sh- shameful behaviors. And it made me feel less ashamed and more okay about, and less alone. Because like, cause one of the, the shame things are based on being like alone or, you know, like no one else feels this or thinks this. Because everyone is kind of collectively hiding the same thing. We all have a false notion of what people are like or what people are thinking. Or So that's kind of gotten worse in a way in our society. You know, I think culturally... There's more and more shame attached to things. It's kind of, it kind of changes like what people are ashamed of in different eras. But yeah. like I've watched it over my lifetime, you know, like like being gay used to be much more shameful than it is now. And like being abused sexually as a child is to be much more shameful than it is now. But at the same time, there's been this kind of real, you know, PC thrust where people feel like they have to be so virtuous. And I think that's really damaging because people aren't nearly as virtuous as everyone thinks they should be. And it makes people just sort of like feel guilty for not living up to some kind of standard that isn't realistic or something, you know? It's really interesting, especially uh, considering the show about the show. I had never seen it. And a friend kind of told me about it. And he had a pitch for me. And is the way he said it, it's like reality TV mixed with eight and a half. You combine those two things and this is like kind of what you get. It's like high art and what many would consider like low or you know, low art. And mm-hmm. And I know it's kind of, it's in the first episode, but just for our listeners, kind of how the show uh, came about, uh, you could talk about her a little bit. Well, I've been wanting to make a film about the filmmaking process. I mean, in a way, all my films have that quality. Like I, I think it comes out of philosophy, actually. Like, um, like I'm really against truth discourse, you know, like anything that claims to be true or oh, objective, yeah. you know, like I think, I think everything is very subjective and I think. It's important to acknowledge that in a film and so many films like sort of try to lay out some truth claim, which, you know, whether it's for a good cause or not, just seems to me problematic and kind of reactionary, really. So, yes, yeah, so I wanted to make a film about the filmmaking process, also because I noticed that reality was always so much more interesting when the camera was off. Like you would shoot a scene and everybody would get very fake all of a sudden. 
and they would say their lines, and there'd be no life to it. And then they would turn it off, and they would all get really complicated and real and interesting again. And it was like, how do you capture that, the truth that's happening off camera? And so I had this idea of a film about what's happening when the camera's off and how to capture that thing. And I spent years trying to find the right form for it. And I actually tried a, a version of it called the film within the film. It wasn't good. <laughs> like I didn't, I didn't, couldn't find the right form for it. And then in trying to pitch a show to Brick, just because they seemed interested in giving me some money, I came up with this idea and they liked it. And, uh, and it kind of worked. Like it was kind of, you know, a, a surprise or something, you know, it's like I hit the jackpot. So two seasons are, are finished now. And, uh, there's a third one. Is it in the works or is it, is it finished? It's in the works. It's not finished. It's about the making of season two. So I have a lot of footage from the making of season two that I, that I have that I haven't used. Um, and, uh, I've been doing camera dresses to sort of talk about what happened, but I need to do a bunch of reenactments. And because of COVID, I've just been waiting for the pandemic to live so I could shoot those scenes. Is it going to be, cause a, a lot of what's, uh, really funny in season one and season two is like you shopping it around, like Hulu and Netflix and. HBO and these places. Is it going to be uh, the third season? I mean, on Brick? I don't know. Aziz quit Brick, so um, really, yeah, it's not clear that they're going to fund it. They're actually trying to decide right now if they are. I don't think they are going to, but they might. Um, but it, it does need a home at the moment because it doesn't clearly have one. And I think there's a good chance that Brick isn't going to do it. So I am kind of looking for a home for it. But it, you know, it might be a Brick, but uh, it's not clear. So since season three is ended that season two, include like the situation now with COVID and everything? I don't think so. I think it ends basically when season two comes out. Okay. Yeah. It goes until the release of season two. And, uh, for our listeners that don't know, kind of, um, and you've talked about this in interviews before about how show wasn't the, the thing that really dissolved your, your marriage, but it kind of maybe exacerbated that. Mm hmm. What's your view of the show and kind of the course it's taken on your life, I guess? Yeah. Um, I, I mean, I love the show. I, I, um, I feel almost like it's a, I don't know. I feel like a, like it's a religious act or something. Yeah. And like, I have to like, uh, just be faithful to it and, and shepherd it into existence as best I can. It feels, uh, I don't know. It feels, uh, like it feels bigger than me, I guess. Um, so I, I certainly don't resent it or anything. Um, I'm just trying to, you know, it feels like a cathedral that you're making that is going to take a hundred years to build and you'll probably be dead when it's done, but, but it's for the glory of God or something. You know, it's like it's a, for a higher purpose. Yeah. Uh, and I don't totally understand the purpose, but I, I, I believe in it somehow. Do you ever see an end to it? Cause it seems like an idea that could really continue. You know, it's not about the show itself. Maybe just. Yeah. I, I think it continue for sure. Uh, and I'd be happy to continue it. I kind of, the divorce kind of like, um, Threw it for a loop because it kind of got, that became the focus of it and it became kind of unwieldy because like I basically have so much, it's hard to keep up with the events. Yeah. So I kind of would like to get back to a place where it can be more current with my recent history that I can just reenact. But right now I'm talking about things that happened three years ago and you know, I'd like to press a reset button and start again with a new chapter, ideally. Your friend Richard Linklater um, talked about uh, the show and your work in general, and you mentioned this in one of, in one of your uh, one of the podcast episodes about that. He thinks that uh, what's maybe hindered you in moments has been you're unwieldy. You won't conform to what maybe people that are giving you money would want. Do you have birds in your apartment? Yeah, I'm not in my apartment, but there's uh, there's a tree right out here. And wow, is it, is it really loud? 
Uh-huh. Uh, that's okay. I just thought you maybe you had like pet birds. Um, and I was curious what kind they were. Um, do you know what kind of birds those are that are in the tree? Uh, no, they're like, like in the window ends right here and I can't really see it. They're like, uh-huh. right about, I'm sorry. Uh-huh. I don't mind at all. Yeah. He was talking more about, not so much about not conforming, which is, I guess, another problem, but more, um, not being psychologically acute or sophisticated about what other people want, basically being kind of like, you know, self-absorbed and uh, narcissistic, I guess. Um, but just like, you know, this, yeah, I think he has a capacity to sort of like understand other people's desires and sort of work with them. You know, I, I didn't have something at the time. So, so that was more about that. Uh, just how it's helpful to understand other people's psychology <laughs> if you want to get them to give you money. You were teaching at the European Graduate School? Um, yeah. And how did that come about? Uh, John Waters was supposed to teach there, and he had to cancel at the last minute. And DJ Spooky, do you know who that is? No, DJ Spooky. He was a kind of DJ who was into, like, theory. He had seen I'm a Sex Addict recently and liked it, and he was going out with a friend of mine, and he asked me if I would uh, want to do it, and I said, sure. It was it paid really well, um, and it was really fun. Like, uh, I met the brothers Quay, who I really uh, admire, and I met Claire Denis, who I really admire, and I met... Um, Jean-Luc Nancy, the French philosopher who I admire. Uh, so it was, it was fun. Um, and then I was invited again because somebody who was working there had written their PhD dissertation about, about my films and also Kiarostami's films. And so they got me invited. And then I think I was invited again more recently. Um, but you know, it's just a, it's not a, not a permanent thing. It's just, you know, uh, now and then. I taught filmmaking the first year. Second year, we made a film with the students, which isn't finished, but I still hope to finish. Um, and then the third year, we actually studied, we did a shot-by-shot analysis of Rick Alverson's film, The Mountain. Oh, with uh, Jeff Goldblum. Yeah, and with Rick. Rick came, and we co-taught this class. Uh, that was fun, too. Um, I'm a big fan of his work, so um, I suggested we study that film. It's in the Swiss Alps gorgeous and uh yeah yeah it is <laughs> have like kind of when there were you were you writing as you were there and in this like new environment as uh you live in in brooklyn right when you're yeah okay so i mean it's a really different environment um do you take in a lot from your environments like that uh, do you find like writing uh that you have to be in certain moods or environments that facilitate writing or those ideas um i have a really hard time writing um i find it helpful to write with people it's less lonely, it's less depressing. <laughs> you don't get demoralized as easily. Uh, so that's the main thing that helps me write is to do it with somebody. Do you have um, partners that you collaborate with uh, frequently? Yeah, I do. Um, I have like different partners I collaborate with in different projects. Um, but yeah, I have basically two or three writing partners and then a bunch of like people who help me with editing. I also don't like to edit alone either. So yeah, if I'm alone, I don't, I don't do much. I just. Yeah, I mean, maybe. Um, the how has how this last year has been uh, with? Uh, been kind of, it's been kind of great. I mean, I miss talking to people in person, but uh, I've been really productive. I mean, I just basically have like Zoom calls all day long, and I edit with people remotely. I write with people remotely. Um, I don't have to be spending time on public transportation. It's it's been kind of great. So I mean, I'm kind of going to be I'm going to miss it a little bit when it's over. So you're a big music guy and you have some great stories about Bob Dylan that was even turned into a short that 
at Sundance and Frank Black. Who was the first artist and musician that you became obsessed with or really loved? Well, when I was a kid, I think my first record I bought was The Monkees, uh, I'm a Believer. And that was a popular show when I was a kid. I, I, I liked it in them. And then I would listen to like, you know, like Top 40 Radio and just buy like, you know, hit singles. And I think my first real like intense musical love was Jethro Tull. I was kind of obsessed with them and I went to see them a bunch of times and I, I was like a super fan. I would go to the library and, and research all the articles that had ever been written about them and cut up all the photos I could find and place them all over my wall. Um, so Jethro Tilt was big and then David Bowie, uh, around the same time was a big influence. I actually saw him perform in 1973, I think. Wow. I think I was, no, 72, I think. I was like 12. And uh I was the only kid there and it was with the spiders from Mars and it was just like um an incredible experience. Like yeah. It seemed like mass hypnosis. Like everybody was like hypnotized, including me. And whatever he would do, everybody would do. Like he would raise his arm, everybody would raise their arm. You know, like it was just like uh it was like spellbinding. And it was like I think the greatest concert I've ever seen in my life. You go um, by yourself to that? I went with my father. <laughs> um and he was a big influence. I think he influenced the way I even talk. Um, and then Bob Dylan was a huge fan, uh, influence. I mean, uh, and I used to paint him a lot. I painted a mural of him on my friend's door. And, you know, I, and I, I went to try to meet him at his house. And then I guess in college, Talking Heads were my biggest influence. And I made a film, a music video for uh, one of their songs and they didn't like it. <laughs> um, and then probably The Smiths were the next really huge influence. I just love them so much. And then the Pixies. And I would say that the Pixies have been my deepest and longest abiding love. And I, I still listen to them all the time. And I think there's nothing better in the universe than Frank Black. So was there a record that got you into the Pixies, like Doolittle or a song maybe that you heard? Yeah, Doolittle. When Doolittle came out is when I found them. There's this, this girl I had a crush on. Um, I made a film about my crush on her called A Little Stiff. Yeah. And in a little stiff, I do, I dance a lot. I'm usually dancing to Smith's songs on my headphones, but she introduced me to Doolittle. And one day she said, there's this band, they're incredible. And I just listened to them because she was into them and, and I, I love them. Um, and I've tried over the years to, uh, make a film about Frank Black or with Frank Black and he's always rejected me, but, uh, I still love him. Would it have been like a, a documentary or, or like a biography, a video biography? Anything. I would do anything. But, you know, I, I, I proposed like music videos. He always said no. And then I proposed a documentary about uh, Frank Black and the Catholics. Mm. When they did that uh, box set, I was like, can I make a film about the Catholics? And no answer. You know, like he's just like never at all responsive or kind. But I think he's my favorite living artist. Is Frank Black? Yeah. Is there anything that you uh, gravitated towards musically or even still like now? Where you're, I know you're always dipping back into the, the Pixies. Are there any other artists that uh, you've been dipping your toes into? They don't even have to be new, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think I went through, a, a, I went back into my Bloody Valentine for a bit. And I guess the, the, the newest thing for me that I've liked a lot was Noah Britton. Do you know him? Mm-mm. He's got like Asperger's, um, but like his songs are so beautiful. Um, I got really into him last year as well, maybe right before COVID. Um, Do you uh, stream music or are you uh, a record? No, I'm a Spotify guy. I love Spotify. I know they're evil, but I love I love what it allows. Yeah, me too. I got really into Joanna Newsom. 
Oh yeah, I like her a lot too. And uh, she's a huge like against Spotify. Uh, oh yeah, none of her music is on Spotify. So I download it or I buy the physical media and then I have to convert it on right. Experience and she's kind of woke me up to like maybe I shouldn't be on Spotify, but it's so convenient. You know, I, I know, I know. Can't you can't, you can't fight it. <laughs> you mentioned the Smiths and uh, in a little stiff. For them, uh, what was the, the impetus that you're getting into into them? Do you remember? Yeah, I, I knew them when I was living in Paris, uh, like in 1984, 85. I, I don't know what year exactly. Um, but they were like, I saw them on TV and I don't know, I liked them. <laughs> and I, I used to go, actually used to go every week to the, I went to, I would go to every single public library in Paris because they all had different record uh, collections. Mm-hmm. And I would take out, you know, 10 records, which was the amount you could take out. And I would just, this was what I did all day. I would just go to different libraries and take out 10 records. And I would just take a bus to this other library and get 10 and then another library and take 10. And I just listened to everything I could get my hands on. And I think I got into uh, them at that time. And then when I moved to L.A. to go to film school, I think that's when uh, The Queen is Dead came out. Mm. And that's when I got really into them. Did you ever uh, get to see them all together? as a No, I never did. I, I did see Morrissey a couple times. I saw at the time he played with Bowie when Bowie came out on stage. How was that? It was, it was really exciting <laughs> to see Bowie come out suddenly unannounced. And they played this T-Rex song that I'd made a music video of um, that I really loved, Cosmic Dancer. Um, so that was kind of a thrill. But yeah, I never saw the Smiths. How frequently do you listen to music? Are you mostly like, uh, I don't know, some people love podcasts and they like, what's your intake? I listen to music every day. It makes me really happy. When I drive, because I have a car now because of COVID, Mm -hmm. I usually listen to the Pixies. Um, And sometimes when I'm walking or running, I will. I actually like podcasts a lot. So if I'm jogging, it's usually podcasts. But if I'm driving, it's usually music. And at home, you know, I'll listen to music between Zoom calls (laughs) just for a break or just to move my body a little bit. Do you uh, play music? I do. I play play guitar very, very badly. Um, But I I do. And and I, I love it. When did you pick it up? In, you know, like high school or whatever, junior high. Oh, okay. So like really I mean, I never was good, but I, I can play chords and I can sing songs that I, I like, you know, if I can find the sheet music. Mm-hmm. So if I get obsessed with a song, I'll, I'll do that. Yeah. Do you have a, a, a favorite guitarist? Yeah, Joey Santiago of the Pixies. <laughs> do you learn, do you learn mostly um, a lot of his riffs and stuff? No, I'm not that good. Like, I don't, I don't even know what he's doing. I just, I'm impressed by it. I just play chords. Have you ever wanted to release an album? Um, you know, I did, I did have a period where I wrote some songs when I was in film school. I wrote maybe like five songs or six songs. I don't know how good they were. They were very primitive. Um, and then it kind of just passed. I was obsessed and then I wasn't, but I, I think I would like to go back to it one day. I was kind of interested in how David Lynch, you know, released a record yeah. pretty late in life. Mm-hmm. I didn't, I didn't love it though, but it does seem like an interesting frontier. I think when I was young, I thought, I, I wouldn't be able to do both. Like I had to put all my energy into one or the other. Mm-hmm. So I just chose film, but I kind of regret that a little bit because a lot of young people seem to do both and they seem to be <laughs> fine doing both. So maybe I didn't have to be so draconian. Uh, do you still have the uh, recordings, the five songs you wrote? Or? Yeah, I do somewhere. Oh yeah. The other, the other big, the other big things I've loved are Bell and Sebastian. Uh, I listen to them a lot during quarantine actually. And the mountain goats. Those are big loves. I had these bands, and I don't know why, because I didn't read that, that, that you mentioned them, the bands that I thought that you would love. So maybe I could throw a few of those out. Sure. Like, uh, Daniel Johnston. I love Daniel Johnston. I actually, someone sent me a drawing by him recently. Really? And I, yeah, and I, and I just got it framed. Um, so I own a Daniel Johnston drawing. <laughs> so an original? I don't know how original it is. I think it's, oh, it's like <laughs> of a series, you know, like. Yeah. Huh. 
But so it was just a random person sent it to you or somebody was... as a as a thank you gift for being nice to them uh gave me that as a present. It was such a nice present. That's awesome. Um and I inter- I interviewed him once. Really? Yeah. That like it was weird. Uh <laughs> I really I think I offended him quite a bit. Um it was it was a a, a diff- painful and difficult uh conversation. Do you remember like what era this was? Uh yeah. this was like in the 2000s. Uh no, 1999 it was. And I think I asked him about being schizophrenic and he said, I'm not schizophrenic. I'm manic depressive. I was like, Oh, I thought you were schizophrenic. He said, No, I'm not schizophrenic. I'm manic depressive. And I was like, Oh, okay. But it sounds like I, I offended you. I hope I didn't offend you. He's like, I'm not schizophrenic. I'm manic depressive. I was like, I understand that, but I just worried that I offended you. He said, I'm not schizophrenic. I'm manic depressive. I was like, I know that, but I hope I didn't hurt your feelings. And he just said, I'm not schizophrenic. I'm manic depressive. And I just was like, Okay. I'm sorry. I'm sorry if I hurt your feelings. And he said it again. And I was like, okay, I'm, goodbye. Oh, was was this over the phone? Yeah, it was over the phone. Oh man, Neutral Mokotel. I love them. I actually met that guy recently. Yeah. yeah, and I and I just read that book about them from that 33 and a third series. Yeah. Uh, so it was kind of really exciting to meet him. Yeah, I met him at a screening. It was it was like incredible. Would you ever write one of those, uh, 33 and a third maybe about? I would love to. I would love to. If someone would ask me, I would do that in a minute. Yeah. My favorite one, a lot of them are really bad. That, the one about Jungle Black Hotel is terrible, but, uh, the one by, uh, John Darnielle about Black Sabbath is so good. The Mountain Goats guy wrote one. And I really liked the one on Fear of Music by the Talking Heads. I think it was Jonathan Lethem did it. It was quite good. Basement three. Don't know Spaceman three. You, rec- you recommend them? Yeah, I, I really recommend them. I think. Can you send me a link? Yeah, Spotify. Yeah. <laughs> okay, perfect. Uh, Jesus and Mary Chain. I love Jesus and Mary Chain. Sonic Youth. I like Sonic Youth, but I don't know them well enough to love them deeply. <laughs> Dinosaur Jr. I like Dinosaur Jr., but don't know him slash them enough to, to love them deeply. Mm-hmm. Um, the person I didn't mention is Kath Bloom. I, I love her. I actually helped produce an album, a tribute album to her. And I got a lot of people uh, to do cover songs of her songs. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bill Callahan did one. Devendra did one. Scout Niblett did one. Um, um, Mark Hoslick did one. It's called Loving Takes This Course. It's it's a great record. Pavement? I love Pavement. Uh, is there a record in particular that you like more than others? I love Slanted and Enchanted. Yeah. I love Crooked Rain. I guess those two. But um, I have a friend who wrote a bunch of... Uh, books and pamphlets and writings about music. It's my favorite writing on music. His name is Camden Joy. Have you heard of him? It's kind of a pseudonym. It's not his real name. Uh, and he writes from the persona of a crazy person. <laughs> and he writes a lot about pavement. But it's so good what he writes. He wrote a he wrote an incredible text about Frank Black's Teenager of the Year. He wrote a book on Liz Fair, wrote a book on Cracker. But like, it's really, really great what he does. And no one knows about him. But there's a book called Lost Joy, which is a masterpiece of 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 musical music writing better than anything I've ever seen. Radiohead? Um, I like Radiohead. I don't know them well enough to love them. I love that song Creep a lot, but I don't know them deeply. Um, Yolo Tango? I love Yolo Tango. Me too. That's, I, I try to go to their, um, their Hanukkah shows every year. Oh yeah. I don't, I don't even know about it. Just every year and year. I used to do them in, at Maxwell's, which was in uh, New Jersey, but, and they've been doing them, I'm sure. For a decade, I wasn't able to go because I wasn't 21. So I started going in like 2017. On uh-huh. I try to go every year, but um, they just play a show every night of Hanukkah. And on the uh-huh. last night, Ira comes out uh, with his mom. And it's just great. And so fun. They have uh, comedians and guest speakers that uh-huh. come out 
beforehand and uh, it's just a really fun thing to do cool. um so if, if, when they start up again i totally would recommend going to one of, i would love to um wilco i like wilco don't know them off so love them you mentioned her before uh liz fair uh-huh are you uh, uh um no <laughs> i mean i like her fine i got nothing against her but i never got into her cocktail twins I like Cocteau Twins. Uh, Tom Waits. I never could get into Tom Waits. There's there's one song I really love, but I, I don't get it. <laughs> yeah, that's one with me as well. Because I have obsessive uh, friends. Yeah, yeah. Like No, I know. People rave about him, but I don't get it. The song it goes like, you're beautiful when you dream, when you dream. You know that song? No. That's a really beautiful song. I might have the words wrong. <laughs> Uh, the Ramones? Never got into the Ramones. I tried. <laughs> Fiona Apple? Don't know her. Oh, okay. She's, I was going to compare to Joanna Newsom, but there. Oh, there's... she did that one with the recently that everybody was raving about with the cutters or whatever? Yeah, Fetch the Bolt Cutters. I listened to that uh, a few Which times because everybody was raving about it, but I, I couldn't get into it. Hmm. Um, this is really fun, actually. Yeah. To, um, but I, I'll send over Spaceman 3 and Enjoy and Lost Joy. Is the name of it? The name of the book, yeah. Okay. The one I recommend the most, yeah. All right. Thanks so much, Kyle. I really appreciate it. Sure. Take care. You too. Bye.